Welcome to Catholic Confessions. Okay, hello, I'm Edith. For this episode of the Catholic Confessions podcast, we will be looking at the topic of dumbed down Catholicism. I first learned of this from listening to Bishop Robert Barron, who has been talking about his problems for the past few years. And at this point, I want to introduce two terms to help us to understand this issue of dumbed down Catholicism. One term is orthodoxy and the other is autopraxis. So orthodoxy refers to the accepted doctrines and teachings of the church. Okay, I'm sure most of you are familiar with this term. Okay, while autopraxis, P-R-A-X-I-S, okay, refers to the moral conduct of the church, which is the moral life. So obviously, both orthodoxy and autopraxis have to be well integrated in the life of every Christian. But I can say for a fact that for many Catholics, I'm quite sure that it's not well integrated. And why is this the case? According to Bishop Robert Barron, after the Vatican II Council, there was this kind of um, systemic dumbing down of the faith, such that the orthodoxy part became greatly de-emphasized in the catechesis of youth and adults, and this led to a very superficial knowledge of the faith, and this in turn caused rather severe consequences, not only in the practice of one's faith, but also in terms of evangelization and of keeping people in the church. So I want to examine how this has played out in our church in Singapore. And with me right now, over a Zoom call, is Nicholas Tree. He's a school teacher, a catechist, and also a member of the Catholic Theology Network in Singapore. And I know that this topic is something that both Nick and I feel quite strongly about. So. Nick, um, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say dumbed down Catholicism? That's actually a very good question because um, without going into a polemical rant, it would not be helpful. I made a Facebook post on Catholics in Singapore and I asked the question, will people be satisfied with their children being an ESL, early school leaver, sectary education enough already? In Singapore, I think most parents, if they say yes, everybody will look at them with a certain look. School will also ask a lot of questions uh, before even allowing them to sign the form. Then my question would be, would you be satisfied with your child having a sectary faith education and then his formal education in the faith stop? In other words, after confirmation, that's it. Your formal education stopped. There is no real need to continue deepening your faith in a formal fashion. Uh, we got a lot of reactions, a lot of people talking. Of course, it provoked uh, vigorous responses. Like, you know, some people say, no, faith and school, except secular, is different. How is it different? Faith is an encounter with Jesus Christ. You believe uh, something internal. There's no real need to have you know, that kind of cognitive, formal cognitive knowledge. So that was one response. The second response is um, people already have the faith encounter. They can learn on their own. So there's no need for something formal. My point is not so much to advocate for something formal per se. I also acknowledge that after confirmation, faith formation can take different forms. It need not necessarily be so formal like going for class. My point is actually simpler. In terms of intellectual knowledge, are you satisfied with a sectary secular education? 99.9% of Singaporeans will say no. Then I ask the same question for Catholics. Are you satisfied with a sectary faith education? Awkward silence. 
I suspect it will not be 99.59% of Catholics who will say, no, not satisfied. Then the question is, why? So when we talk about dumbed down Catholicism in the Singapore context, this is one story which I can share. And it also reflects, I think, um, like when the youth grow up and they become adults and it's the attitude towards theology is also this sense that, oh, it's very academic, it's very theoretical. And I don't see how knowing all this is going to help me to uh, live a better life as a Christian and be a better follower of Christ, you see, because this knowledge seems very separated from the application part, which is what matters, which is what truly matters you know, for a faithful person. So it's like the discussion that, that we have that sometimes, okay, it's like, okay, let's have a, a group coming together and we reflect on something. And it seems to me that it leapfrogs over the theory, the knowledge and goes straight onto how do we apply this? You know, how, how do we improve the state of our spiritual life? But there's very little reference always that's made to the Bible you know, or church teachings and all that. Very, very little on the knowledge part and it goes straight into application. I haven't addressed this to a lot of people, you know, but when I try to like maybe um, push for something that is more knowledge-based, I just see a lack of interest uh, or even resistance. I just see it as a mindset thing. As an educator, I know, I, uh, first thing I just, I speculate first and then later I give you a case study, uh, maybe for to consider. I suspect it has something to do with our education system. Sometimes our education system can be very uh, arms race type, like, you, know? you must know more and so on, then you are, you are weighed and measured accordingly. Uh, many people find uh, the church a refuge because that's not how we know Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ comes to us whether we can get A for the theology exam or cannot pass the theology exam. Luckily, faith is not like that. So that's a good thing, you know, actually, when you think about it, that you are weighed not according to your PSLE score, Wait not according to what test you get for your catechism, but you wait according to uh, how it touched you and your response. So uh, I remember this story. I think it's told by Anthony DiMello. This guy, he became Christian recently. Then his friends said, Ah, oh, you become Christian. I cannot be. Let me ask you a few questions. You know where Jesus born? Not sure. You know what age he died? I don't know. You know how many gospels? I think got four. You know the names? I cannot remember. Then how you can say you know Jesus? Then the man said, well, I do know that before I know this man, Jesus, I was an alcoholic. I beat my wife. After I know this Jesus, uh, I love my wife. I stopped drinking alcohol. I stopped gambling. My children love me. So I don't know much about Jesus, but I think I know him. And then the other guy is silent. So this is a nice story like, told by Anthony DiMello, which shed light on the fact that uh, knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus, different story. I agree with that. Nevertheless, I think should look at it also like in a both-end manner. Like. Why don't we know Jesus and know about him more so that we can know him more? Although it is true that knowing about Jesus doesn't necessarily lead to knowing Jesus, but knowing Jesus and refusing or having an aversion to knowing more about him doesn't sound very correct to me either. It should be both. Like. And um, something which I've been thinking about which, uh, in fact, from a real conversation with a youth leader. The youth leader says, oh, my community, uh, some of them interested in this kind of uh, difficult theology talk, and some of them not. How do I make them slowly all interested? I shared with him, I think maybe the paradigm of the youth group need to change. Is it a youth group uh, which gathers every, uh, every week and come, just pray, support each other? Or does it have a missionary dimension? 
Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium like, uses the phrase missionary disciples. To be a missionary disciple essentially means to want to evangelize, want to share the good news with people and want to respond to people's needs. To be a missionary disciple obviously needs formation and lifelong so that you can be more effective. You got the zeal for souls. You want to discover the best way to do it. If you have that zeal, then formation becomes important. So the mindset shift for the youth group or the whatever small Christian community is, are we a community of missionary disciples or are we just a, so to say, Catholic support group? That I think is quite important. Because if you are a missionary disciple, you want to be better. Because you want to be a better missionary, then you want to be formed. So that, that is, I think that's the first thing. The mindset must shift. I want to evangelize. As Evangeli Nunciandi says, first step is the wordless witness. Through your lifestyle and so on, you stir up questions in people. Then the second step, direct proclamation. When people start being interested in you and your lifestyle, then they begin the conversation. This is where give them the answers, the living water, only Jesus Christ. So there is a two-step to it. And being able to do it well and so on, this would be your motivation to learn more. Then sometimes also another issue is uh, how theology or academic subjects are taught. I would like to say that sometimes it's not taught very well in our church circles. Those who are in a position to teach the faith, be it catechist or even teaching theology, need to be able to speak in a way which is accessible and there I, I say also Singaporean. In other words, with the idiom which is 100% orthodoxy, you know, faithful to the church, but also accessible for people. They come in the Singapore church, their Singaporean experiences, they can make that connection. If not, uh, we got a problem, you know, askets downwards. You know. First, we have those who are doing academic theology speaking in Vaticanese. Then second, we have people who experience this already get frustrated. Then they go to their extreme. Don't need all this academic theology. Just me and Jesus will do. Then it's like the vicious cycle continues. When you talk about uh, dumbed down Catholicism, people resist because they experience the academic theology. They hear already, they're very sad. They don't, oh, I don't want this. I don't want Vaticanese. I don't understand. So why, why need to be so complicated? So the mm. crisis is quite deep. Lah. What we need actually is uh, people who can speak Vaticanese and Singlish uh, to make the bridge. Okay, I think you brought up a couple of very salient points that uh, really resonate with me. And the teaching part that you were saying, okay, the way maybe the, that the faith is like so-called being transmitted. I, I think the transmitted part, that word is probably an issue already because... It's, you know, in educational circles, it's like, a, it's like a body of knowledge that you just uh, pass on and you expect the recipient to just uh, swallow it up wholesale, right? But I've, I've also been thinking about this and because, I mean, we're, we're both teachers, so I'm sure you understand. So there's a lot of uh, this thing about pedagogy involved, right? So how do you, not say present, but how do you try to develop certain concepts in people that you're, you're trying to teach? Because I find that in the church, there's a lot of telling that is going on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, we need to use words, yes, but how do we use it? Yes, preaching is like telling. It's like, okay, you should believe in this, you should believe in that. And of course, we do need to know that. But the thing is the how. The how, how is the presentation done? So, like, for example, say like, okay, so, so the question, you so mentioned that we need to know the question. So, okay, one of the big questions is, okay, 
why do we believe that the Eucharist is the actual presence of Jesus Christ, for example? You know, so, okay, so that's a big question. How do we learn this, you know? If, how do I, like, teach it to somebody instead of just telling them, oh, the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ? It could be, like, you know, why? Why do we believe it as, as such? And then if you go deeper to the scriptures, it would be, you know, in John uh, chapter 6, it would be, why was it that so many of Jesus' followers chose to leave him after he made that point, you know, to eat my body? Why did so many people choose to leave? So that, that triggers more of an inquiry, you see, that triggers some kind of thinking, oh, what is, instead of just telling them straight away. I think what you say is actually very true. Uh, Father Thomas Joseph White, famous Dominican teaching at the Angelicum says he gave an interview to the Catholic Herald not too long ago and the headlines of the Catholic Herald was uh, we cannot just tell the truths. Is, it, is he trying to say that uh, you must leave the truths? Uh, not exactly. You know. He's trying to say that you cannot consider the work of evangelization done when you just simply restate church teaching. You know. there, there are some Catholics, uh, maybe they, they are fed up with dissenting theology, like, not unorthodox ideas, liberal ideas, whatever. There is this idea that why the church quiet? You must just simply proclaim the truths, can already. You, you must dare to proclaim the truths. That is only one aspect of evangelization, honestly. You proclaim the truths until the cows come home, but people don't understand the truths. People don't want to accept the truths. What are you going to do? Excommunicate people? People not even in the church are excommunicate. What? Not possible. And not to your own Catholics, you tell, say you disobedient. Okay, if they accept it just by virtue of authority, they won't be able to evangelize because they accept the authority of the church they accept. But then other people, the only reason why non-Catholics will accept what the church teaches is because it makes sense. That's one. And then it helps them because it makes sense. They're open to encountering Jesus personally. So that is the criteria. So the first thing, you cannot just tell the truth. That, that, that is one thing. You cannot just simply be proclaimed. It needs to be proclaimed in an intelligible fashion. And that's where I think teachers can come to play. Because we, we try to convey a complex and apparently unrelatable material to kids all the time. Right or not? Except for I teach history. They will not be thinking of the Malayan Union and the Federated Malay States. That will be completely out of their minds. Right? It's only because it's in the syllabus, I must go and learn Federated Malay State. Then, of course, from there, you slowly make it uh, accessible to their experience, like, right? By drawing appropriate analogies, then you realize, oh, uh, this is a question worth asking. A lot of times, of course, in school, you can take the lazy approach. Uh, these are the answers to the questions. But actually, these are the answers to the questions the student don't intend to ask because of no interest in asking need to slowly initiate them into the process so that they can be interested in asking. So teaching the sound pedagogy plays a part. Etienne Gilson, a French Catholic philosopher, he says the following, piety is no substitute for technique. His point is this, uh, you may have deep religious experiences, which are genuine, uh, mind you, you, know, you can see the moral transformation, etc. That doesn't exempt you, huh, if you want to be a disciple slash evangelist, huh, that doesn't exempt you from attempting to present the faith uh, in a way which is accessible to people using the normal, ordinary human means to understand things. Just give you an example, again from talking to people. This boy uh, attended one of these uh, youth retreats. Like, 
uh, in this small group. So they shared about their lives, what their struggles are, all this. So some people share, you know, girlfriend problems, some share parents' problems, some share school problems. He a bit unusual. Uh. He shared, I got a problem with the doctrine of justification. <laughs> then, of course, uh, you, you got a problem with the doctrine of justification. Most likely, the uh, facilitator uh, never heard this problem before. Uh, right? <laughs> so, like, uh, okay, uh, I don't know how to answer you. Okay, fair enough. That's okay, no problem. But what the facilitator subsequently say, in my opinion, is the problem. Um, instead of doing uh, your question, actually, very difficult. I never thought about it before. Let me find out for you. That's fine. Or let me refer you to uh, the more experienced. Uh, uh, we can who can talk one to one and clarify your doubts. Never just say that. Uh, Nama, you keep your question. Later on, we got praying over. After you pray over and you get received the Holy Spirit slain by Holy Spirit, you will realize that the question don't matter anymore. You will never ever say the same thing uh, to people who have family problem, girlfriend problem, relationship problem, or this kind. You will never say that one. You will listen with uh, a lot of sympathy and so on. But if somebody got a problem with the doctrine of justification, uh, so to say, presenting problems seems to be an intellectual one. Uh, you tell them like that one. No? I think it's not good uh, to say things like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not just because uh, your encounter was in the context of a retreat, but I can tell you a very recent one because uh, recently I did a podcast with Father Ferdinand, right, about Pentecost not Actually, ah, yes, yeah, not actually correct. being the birthday of the church. I think, okay. I think that that probably reached the number of parishioners to the extent that um, I happened to listen okay, to a homily by a priest uh, on one of the online masses a couple of days after this whole um, little small furore okay about Pentecost, <laughs> and 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 he and he mentioned that parishioners went up to him to question him. him. Yes, okay. to question him. You know, it was like they, they felt very strongly about it. They asked him and all that. And he was like, okay. And his message was, it's more important to live a good life. Oh, yeah, like you, know, you know, like, you know. You know dismiss the question of why, you, why is it even worth asking, like, yeah. essentially, right? Not, yeah. It's more important, you know. You must uh, live according to good Christian values, uh, etc. Along those lines. The message know. of Pentecost or this kind of thing, like, right? Not, yeah, neighbor. so yeah, totally circumvented the whole issue of that of that question, you see. And this is not the thing is it's not unusual. It's it's not an unusual response. It's very typical. I'm yeah. glad that Archbishop never actually, because uh, the Archbishop also kind of responded to it, you know. Oh he was saying uh, I think the Archbishop, if I you can you can refer to the homily that Pentecost, uh, you can refer. Or is that one of the homily? I think on Monday he responded. On Monday, uh, yes. On uh, Monday. Monday uh, so yes. I think he said that uh, there's a difference uh, between conceiving and giving birth, uh, you know. And then from you see, I think both also can. Birthday of the church because give birth already. Conceiving is at the, that, that is in a way what we want, right? Not, uh, at least yeah. whether the Archbishop is correct or not, Father Ferdinand maybe disagree. No, no, catechism say fair enough. But this is the type of conversations we ought to have, right? Not? That means you, you take what Father Ferdinand says uh, seriously, right? Not, and give a response. Then Father Ferdinand can respond back and then the conversation can happen. Rather than say it is more important to whatever. What you can always say it is more important to whatever that's true, but it doesn't mean that you don't address the issue. I'm glad the Archbishop attempted to do so, you know? So that, that should be the correct approach. The to me, the local church got a lot of things that need to think through deeply. Every time when there's something people don't understand, the tendency is always to reduce it to ah yeah, you just be a good Catholic can radio, rather than attempt to explore the issue. Now you don't do that for any other problem, you know. 
let's say you you go to the church and you say uh, father my family electricity bill next month going to cut the priest will never tell you just pray can already you know that will be very cruel la. the priest will say go and check st vincent Nicole, see how they can help you uh, they, the priest will sure say that one uh, father i you know i feeling very burdened very sinful priest said when's your last confession i i hear your confession now correct father i got a question on justification <laughs> let's pray can already uh. cannot be what why? Intellectual questions are not real. They are smokescreen for something else. Maybe lah. But that is the person's presenting problem. So why you don't you take his presenting problem as a real one? Of course, he might have other reasons why he asks about justification or he asks about uh, the problem of evil or whatever. Of course, sure have one. Everybody is integrated. Maybe something to do with his moral life, possibly. Maybe something to do with a disappointment in his life. All this, we all know one. But his presenting problem is an intellectual one. Address it at that level first, lah. Before then, you build the rapport, then you can talk about other things. Don't faster go and tell people and pray. Prayer is not a substitution for technique. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think we, I think we've highlighted really some of these um very um very pervasive yet like insidious problems that people and people might not even see it as a problem. Unfortunately, you see there's that lack of awareness. So. I, I do want to go back to my earlier point about, and which you also mentioned about this um, missionary zeal. And, and I'm still trying to work it out um, in my mind, like, why do we not have this missionary zeal? And I thought maybe it could have to do with the amount of conviction that we have for our, our faith, you see, because it's like Singaporeans love food, right? So if I, if I go to a like, restaurant that's serving like fantastic pasta or something. Well, the next thing I would do immediately, I want to text certain friends, right? And tell them, hey, this place is really good. But why is the same zeal not evident, you know, when it comes to our faith? So, yeah, and, and I wonder, is it also, is it like a loop, you see, that because we don't know enough to be com- convinced that we don't feel like evangelizing or we don't feel ready for evangelization. Is that we don't evangelize because we don't know enough. So it's like this unhealthy loop that just goes round and round. Yeah. I, I think there are a few things to be said. Lah. The motivation ultimately are twofold. Lah. First is a love for Christ. Lah. He has touched you in a deep way. And since he has shared with you how to share others, you just want to do it. So that's one. Lah. Second one lah, is that actually of um, Peter Hitchens actually. Peter Hitchens is the brother of the late famous atheist Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens, of course, atheist. Then his brother, Christian. Both of them started off as atheists. One of them continued to be atheist. They want to become Christian Anglican. He said that every time I go on these forums, then people describe me as a devout Christian. They say, why you call me devout Christian? Honestly, I don't pray every day. I only Sunday go church. And I do the minimum. I hope I can go heaven. He always like to joke like that. You call me devout Christian. But no, I'm not very devout. Okay, like, I accept that Jesus Christ is my Lord, but I don't like, well, no, I, I probably still grumble. But why do I still bother to do this? Because at least for Peter Hitchens, Christianity is the foundation for Western civilization. Without Christianity, the world would be darker and very different. All the values you have right now, uh, you take for granted one, all has Christian roots. In other words, uh, even if you are not so personally fervor, uh, can you recognize that Christianity is never just the only personal? No? It has societal and wider implications you know, for all the values, things you hold dear. Cannot reduce Christianity to just a private, personal faith. No? Because if you do, then it is true. Ma. I encounter Ken already. Other people don't encounter it. It's okay. No? There is a 
saying by Cardinal Every Dallas, he says the following, even if people don't accept the gospel, they can accept the gospel values. However, the gospel, full gospel must be preached first, you know. Then people maybe don't accept the full gospel, they accept the gospel values. If you aim for the gospel values alone, you will miss out, you know. That means uh, the preaching of Christianity has societal implications. No? If it's not there, if it is not, the message is not heard, uh, society will be different. If Christianity were to die in Singapore, there will be societal consequences. You just don't see only. It's like a lake uh, which is dried up, you know. A lake which doesn't receive water from a living source, you know. But the lake will dry up. The water becomes stagnant and you don't know why. Because it's been cut off from its source. Are you convinced also of that or not? That is the, perhaps the second question. I'm the vine, you are the branches cut off from me. You can do nothing. That can be applied not just on a personal level, but on a societal level. Cut off from Jesus Christ, society can do nothing. So there needs to be people who love Christ or at least love his values enough to recognize the source Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for highlighting this um, this wider implications of Christian values. I think sometimes also our faith gets a little bit too insular and because there's so much emphasis, truly, we should on, on the personal encounter with God that sometimes we are a bit blinded to you know, the bigger societal forces at work. Okay, I think we can uh, draw this um, discussion to a close. Thanks, Nick, for your insights. And I just want to end off with a very short quote from Bishop Barron okay, in one of his um, talks. He says that um, we are a smart religion, you know, Catholicism. So when we don't express Christianity and Catholicism in a smart way, people will fall away. So it's not just about feelings and emotions and about how God's word and Christ's teachings are relevant to my life or your life, but I I think it's really about how we let this um, divine life of Christ flow out from us to be shared with others. So we end off here. We hope that this discussion can be continued. So if you have any comment to add, please feel free to visit the Catholic Confessions Facebook page and let us know your thoughts. Thank you for listening and God bless. For more confessions, do check out our website and Facebook page.